I want to take as my text this morning uh, the first six verses of that first reading from Genesis chapter 15. If you have your, uh, if you have the pew Bible there and you'd like to turn there, you can find this text on page 12, right at the beginning. <laughs> page 12, Genesis chapter 15 and verses 1 through 6, which I'd like us to look at again. Genesis chapter 15 on page 12 in your pew Bible and beginning at verse 1. And we read there that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, (laughs) what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to Abram, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven, and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. This morning I want to talk about enduring faith. Enduring faith. Someone has said, in fact the last person I heard say it was our friend Adam Gully, that faith is like a muscle, and the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. (laughs) Faith is like a muscle, and the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And that's a good metaphor for enduring faith, a faith that is active, a faith that is regularly exercised, a a faith as a way of life. And through regular exercise, a faith that is ever growing stronger. But even enduring faith has its moments. (laughs) Indeed, uh, even while in the New Testament, uh, Abraham, as his name was changed, and as we know him in the New Testament, Abraham is often referred to as the, the father of those who believe, that is, the father of all those who believe in God. Abram worried. <laughs> Indeed, this is, why this is why God says what he says to Abram in verse 1. Notice again verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And what did the Lord say to him? He said, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't worry, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your protection. And your reward shall be great. Indeed, um, if you follow the storyline, at least beginning at verse 12, or chapter 12, uh, Abraham is confused, he's worried about the fulfillment of a promise that Yahweh God had made to him 10 years earlier. Indeed, God had promised uh, to make Abram, to use God's own words, a, a great nation. But that was 10 years ago, (laughs) and none of it has happened yet. In fact, back up. I think 
just a couple of, just a couple of pages in your, in your Bible there to chapter 12. And notice what I'm, what I'm saying and what's written there. Chapter 12 and beginning at verse 1. And now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred. He's, it's an uh, immigration story, if you like. He's telling him to leave where he lives. Can you imagine? The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that was a big promise. In fact, notice as, God, as the story continues, verse, verse 4, and so Abram went. He left. God said, I'm going to do this, and so, okay. So uh, you called me, and so I'm going to respond. I'm going to take action. I believe you, Lord. Okay. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when they departed from Haran, north of Israel, as it, I'm not sure if there's a Haran anymore, or maybe it probably has a different name. Verse 5, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, that is his nephew, and all their possessions and all, and, and they, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan, otherwise known in the Bible as the promised land. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And notice the first part of verse 7. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, to your children, I will give this land. That was 10 years ago. And none of it had happened. Abram was still childless. And so Abram's confused. You told me this was all going to happen. I, I left, we left our comfort zone, and we've come down into this place. We're foreigners in this place. He's, he's confused. He's fearful. He's worried. Indeed, notice in our text, chapter 15 and, and beginning at verse 2, and, and Abram said to, to God, Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house, my, my, my heir is Eliezer of Damascus. And he's, not my, he's, not my, he's not a family member. He's not my son. In fact, by, if you read this from chapters 12 to 15, Lot's gone. And in fact, some commentators suggest that he brought Lot around along because he didn't have any children, and he and his wife Sarah, Sarai at the time were childless, and they thought, well, maybe God will fulfill his promise through my nephew. But then the nephew leaves, and now he's got nothing, and so he appoints, as it was the tradition of the Middle East at the time, to appoint in the absence of any, any progeny, any any, uh, any uh, biological heirs, to appoint that position to uh, his favorite servant, this uh, one that he identifies as Eliezer 
of Damascus. And so he has no children, even though God has promised an abundance of children. You know, maybe we can start small, God, like, you know, like maybe one. <laughs> He's got nothing. And so God reiterates his promise. Notice verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This is really interesting, this, this structure here, both in verse 1 and in verse 4. You find this in other places in the, in the Old Testament, like Jeremiah and the other prophets. This is sort of the setting up, and the word of the Lord came to the prophet and said. And so the writer is um, somewhat suggesting that Abram is a prophet. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him, that is, the Lord brought Abram outside and said to him, look toward the heaven. It's seemingly a, a, night, a nighttime event. He brought him outside and said, look to the heavens. And imagine, you know, I mean, here we are in the city, and if you've ever been out in the country uh, where there are no street lamps, boy, the stars are just thick. I remember the first time I saw the Milky Way. I was, on, I was, I was, a, a, was a chaplain at a, a youth camp it's a few years back. And somebody said, Scott, have you ever seen the Milky Way? I said, you mean the candy bar? And, and no, 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 not that. And so they took me outside and just this, this strip of stars, and it was extraordinary. And I don't remember how long I stared at it, but I stared at it for a long, long time. And so, verse 5, And he brought Abram outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. And God said to him, And so shall your offspring be. And so God reiterates the promise. And so enduring faith has its moments. It even had its moment with someone like Abram. Abram was a, a man of faith, but he's having a problem because God isn't keeping his promise according to the timetable that Abram was expecting. And so God reiterates the promise a promise that, did, that God, by the way, did eventually fulfill, as he always does, <laughs> according to his timetable. In fact, uh, Moses would later say to Abram's descendants, that is, the children of Israel, and we read it in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 10, he's talking to the Israelites after their exodus from Egypt and at the end of their 40, wild, 40 years wilderness wandering, Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 10, the Lord your God has multiplied you. And behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. And where Moses was standing, everywhere he looked, there they were. They were that way and that way and that way. And so enduring faith, is not without its moment. 
But in the end, enduring faith always believes. Indeed, notice that verse 6. This Abraham that's fearing and concerned and worried and what am I doing here? Why didn't I stay in Iran? <laughs> verse 6, and he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And so God reiterated his promise to Abram. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, this makes perfect sense. How often do you need to be reminded of the promises of God? I need to be reminded all the time. In fact, I'm very deliberate about that. I, I'm, I read the scriptures. I, I really enjoy it. I study them. I read them. When I'm reading them just for pure pleasure, I read them out loud. I always have to, I, I say to Linda and when Victoria's at the house, where are you going to be? Are you going to be in the bedroom? Are you going to be in the, are you going to be in the living room? Are you going to be? Because I want to read the Bible out loud. <laughs> so I figure I don't want to bother anybody. Right? And I just, re I just read it and let it speak to me. You know why? Because I need to be reminded of what God says. And so God reiterated his promise to Abram. And the text says that Abram believed. And because Abram believed, the text says that God counted Abram righteous. As a just man. As a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a person who is right with God. That's what ju justification is, a kind of a complicated theological word maybe. But that's what, that's what it means. To be justified is to have a right standing with God. That everything's all right. Everything's good. In fact, I've always appreciated Paul Zoll's applicational definition of justification in his great book, Grace and practice, I think perhaps uh, 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 in that list of books that have impacted my life, grace and practice, he wrote this, to be justified, that is to have his right standing with God, means to live a non-accused life. <laughs> I love that. To be justified, that is to have a right standing with God, means to live a non-accused life. And this God grants seemingly as a free gift to those who trust him. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about this famously when he wrote his letter to the Ephesian believers. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, he said, For by grace, by chorus, that itself means gift. <laughs> that's the word that's used in 1 Corinthians when the Apostles talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual charis or charisms. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever gone to a birthday party and, and you give a gift and then you give a bill? Of course not. It's a gift. By definition, you don't pay for it. Or has anybody ever <laughs> done that to you? <laughs> for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves or your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't live for God to earn God's favor. 
I live for God because I have God's favor. And the same is true for you. Because he saves by grace, we love him and serve him. But none of that could ever accomplish what he's accomplished for us and what he gives to us as a free gift. In fact, Paul, in another place, applies this same truth directly to Abraham. If you're wondering, oh, well, you're quoting Ephesians, but what does that have to do with Genesis? Well, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, and beginning at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, if he was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about. Woo, look what I earned. But not before God, because God knows better. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. He trusted in God. He trusted the message of God. He trusted the reiteration of the promise. That's the point. But God reiterated the promise, and Abraham said, All right, Lord, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Jennifer Rothschild, in I think it was her first book, Lessons I Learned in the Dark. She's a very interesting person. When she was 17, I think, maybe a junior or senior in high school, she lost her eyesight. Can you imagine? Everything just went dim and got darker and darker, and it happened rather quickly. So her first book was Lessons I Learned in the Dark. And she says, faith is facing your fears. What, what is the first thing that God says to Abraham? Fear not. Faith is facing your fears and acting on what you know is right and finding face reward. <laughs> Look at verse 1 again. I mean, I think maybe she was reading this verse when she wrote that, wrote that statement. Look at verse 1 again. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said to Abram, fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be great. Don't fear. Believe. Trust me. And receive your reward. Faith, Jennifer says, faith is facing your fears and acting on what you know is right and finding faith reward. John Stott in his book, People, My Teachers, and I think I've used this. I looked at this and I thought, how many times are you going to use it? But it's just so good. <laughs> this is what he says. It is precisely because God is faithful that to trust him makes sense, for there is no one more trustworthy than God. It is precisely because God is faithful that trust in him makes sense, for there is no one more trustworthy than God. And maybe why that statement is so powerful for me is because it just rings so true. I, I, I can't, I have no, I cannot tell you a story that would conflict with that. In particular, I, I have generally found that God's, as we're talking about timing, God's timing of things 
ends up being better than mine own. I may, I, may, I may be all concerned because things are not happening and God isn't keeping His promises on my timetable. <laughs> and I, I get in a situation where I almost like lose heart only to find God answer at a different time. And when I look back, I go, wow, I couldn't have scripted that better. This must be of God. And so how about you? 